Welcome to Mentally on Table Adventures, Table Flip, number four, RPG A Day 2016. Oh, this podcast may contain bad language, crude humor, and graphic violence, and it, in general is not fit for, hu- for human com- cons- consumption. Well, folks, as it turns out, due to some personal events and family medical issues, I was unable to get to the actual ending of the next issue of the podcast. But, since I didn't want to leave you guys hanging with nothing, I decided I'd record my musings on the first eight questions for RPG A Day 2016. Hope you enjoy. So for those of you who don't know, RPG a Day is a hashtag that's been up, I believe, for at least three years now. You can go ahead and use it on Facebook, on Twitter, on G+, and it's a good way to sort of connect the uh, RPG communities. And it goes throughout the month of August, and every day has a different question associated with it, hopefully to uh, spark some conversations amongst the RPG community out there. In this particular case, since I haven't been able to uh, post anything to any social media due to the fact that over the first few days I was at a uh, uh, camp out of town and unable to uh, connect to the internet and such, so I decided that this would be a good opportunity for me to uh, get some of my thoughts out of there. So, first question for the 1st of August. Real dice? Dice app? Diceless? How do you prefer to roll? Uh, for me, the answer is definitely real dice. Uh, I did, for a while there, uh, play around with some dice apps, some die rollers on a laptop, but it just never quite felt the same. Now, I do prefer to have a different set of dice, or at least many different sets of dice, um, each one sort of color-coded to the character that I'm playing. If I'm playing a uh, mage who specializes in fire magic, those dice have got to have some red in them somewhere. If I'm playing my uh, big tanky paladin, uh, those dice have to have some silver gleam to them uh, to reflect that uh, uh, plate mail he's wearing. So uh, that's sort of the, the best that I do. However, I do find one example of a dice app that I did truly love. During the 4th edition days, there was uh, a podcast I used to listen to Thursday Nights, and they uh, used a dice app designed by their DM because he is a uh, programmer. Uh, the name of the dice app is Avandra. Uh, and I believe it is still available out there on the internets. Um, so uh, Avandra was a 4th edition die roller where uh, it would um, graphically display on a second screen... Uh, you know, the DM could put up a second screen that would have a very dynamic display where it would uh, show the roll, sort of rolling through the numbers, come up with the number for the die, uh, and then it would automatically add any bonuses so you could pre-program in via editing a very simple uh, text uh, document that you would load up at the beginning of the combat, say for instance, that would have all of your monster's various attacks with the attack bonus and the damage already programmed into the die roller. So all you would have to do was click Click, you know, Ogre Club, and it had the ability to add in conditional bonuses and penalties as well. So if they were, you know, flanking or uh, getting some other bonuses, you could uh, click to add those in as well. Uh, and it would show that die roll up on that on the, on a, that second screen, uh, then bring up the bonuses, tally it up, and then show the total number to the player side and indicate which defense they were targeting, whether AC, Will, Fort, as was uh, Fourth Edition style. And then the player then would have the opportunity to tell you, you know, oh, yeah, that hit, or no, that missed, and then you would uh, just click a second button, which would reveal the damage if 
they actually did get hit. Uh, and in that damage field, you also had the ability to uh, type in some uh, additional wording. So if there was some secondary effect, you could type in there, you know, 1d6 plus 5 and poisoned, you know, and or you could type in and make poison save. And then, of course, the player would have to turn around and make that save. So that was um, when I did play with that um, every once in a while. If I had a lot of time before a game session, had a lot of planning, knew what uh, scenario I was running and what the uh, monsters were going to be, I would definitely try and load them up into that, and the players definitely seemed to enjoy that. For the 2nd of August, the question is, best game session since August 2015? And for me, that is definitely going to have to be um, every session that I ran at Min Loco 2015. Uh, Min Loco is a small uh, regional convention in Minneapolis, um, but it is using the uh, Long Con format, where you play the same game with the same people uh, Friday night, two sessions on Saturday and a final session on Sunday. So you have the opportunity to play essentially a mini campaign, uh, which is kind of nice because there's a lot of games nowadays that sort of don't hit their stride until, you know, the second or third session uh, of the game or, you know, so that uh, a, sing- a one shot, for instance, of uh, I found a lot of the Apocalypse World a- uh, engine games are fun, but you feel like you definitely haven't uh, hit the hit the real meat at the center of that game, uh, and so it's nice to be able to uh, try them out in a, a little more uh, long format like that. And so when I went to Minloco, I uh, posted up and uh, offered to run a Dungeon World game. Uh, I originally had posted this game assuming that eh, all of the people coming to this game will probably have played lots of Dungeon World and find that sort of passe, and then maybe nobody will sign up for my game, and then I will uh, then sign up to play something, but at least I'll feel like I have offered to run something. Turns out uh, that was a very popular choice, and uh, I had a, a full table of people, but it was a fabulous experience walking into a convention with you know, like closer to 16 hours of gameplay ahead of me with uh, little to no planning uh, as to how it was going to go. I knew they were going to uh, start using a dungeon starter called At the Top of the Tower, which has a whole bunch of various uh, and sundry ways uh, that uh, you can have arrived in the tower, what it is you're after in the tower, and what the surrounding uh, world looks like, and what dangers have befallen you in the tower. Uh, so that was that was about all I knew was that they were starting at the top of a tower of some kind. Beyond that, uh, the entire rest of the session just rolled uh, from there. And if you're you've been a longtime listener, you've heard all those sessions. But that was definitely for me one of the best uh, best sessions I've had since since last year. August third, character moment you are proudest of. Um, For this one, I've got to go back to my old 3rd Ed Dungeons & Dragons uh, living campaign days. Uh, And one character that I uh, played, and I believe it was the Living Greyhawk uh, campaign, I played a character named Reginald Preston Cunningham III. Uh, He was a gnome barbarian, and he was a anthropologist who studied uh, the um, uh, native peoples uh, in a mountain range 
and thus got indoctrinated into their uh, primitive tribal culture, uh, hence his barbarian class, in spite of the fact that he had, you know, an 18 intelligence and an 8 strength, um, <laughs> which made him, of course, a terrible barbarian. Uh, you know, of course, the, the future plans for this character was to then uh, uh, have him go, you know, illusionist or something uh, much more uh, common, but still keeping that sort of uh, barbarian history from uh, his time with those um, uh, primitive folks uh, that he was studying. Um, and the best moment came for him when the DM looking at my table tent simply saw barbarian in my uh, character description. And so when he had the messages delivered from whoever it was that was hiring us that day, uh, he had messages delivered that, you know, uh, our characters could read to find out who was hiring us to do a job that particular day. And the uh, stable boy or a, a courier who came out to deliver the message to me, seeing my rather primitive garb and uh, uh, living conditions as I was staying in a tent just outside of town, had not actually come into town yet, uh, the courier uh, often offered to read the, uh, the uh, letter to me, as most barbarians, of course, uh, lacked the skill points for, a, uh, for the read skill. You actually had to spend extra skill points to be able to read, which, of course, I had done, having an 18 intelligence and being an anthropologist. Of course I know how to read. And so, uh, at the table, I then immediately launched into a diatribe uh, against the poor uh, courier uh, of how... Um, how he was making such terrible, baseless assumptions about me just because of my dress, that uh, what, made, what made him think that I didn't know how to read. Uh, and of course I did this in my uh, best uh, imitation of British accent, and it uh, uh, brought the rest of the table to applause at the end. So that, I think, was probably my, uh, my best, the moment I was most proud of. <laughs> For the fourth most impressive thing another's character did. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't at the table for this one, but a friend of mine down in Kansas City played a character named Vincent Fleet, who was your typical halfling rogue uh, in a lot of ways. He was constantly getting into trouble, um, but one thing he was really good of, about doing is uh, not getting hurt if he didn't want to. Of course, this was uh, third edition Dungeons and Dragons. He had, you know, expertise and all of the dodge feats possible, and when required, he could really crank up his AC to the point where he would be well-nigh unhittable. Uh, and when we were playing at a convention, I remember hearing from across the room that uh, he had been he was playing Vincent with some uh, other characters that were a little lower level than him and apparently they got in a little over their head in an encounter and it looked like uh, the group was going to get TPK or it was certainly possible that they could be TPK'd or at best maybe Vincent would probably survive but the rest of them were probably were going to die uh, and my friend instead of uh, instead of taking that uh, more selfish road for once we'd like to think that maybe the the rest of us that were trying to rub off on Vinny and have a, a good influence on him uh, made him do the right thing for once and so he uh, drew the enemy's fire, sort of dived into the center of the fray where he usually was not found, but this time he sort of dived into the center, drew all of the attention of the uh, the bad guys and uh, held them off long enough for the rest of the, uh, the newbies to uh, escape to safety unfortunately him, I believe dying in the process so he had to uh, you know, get himself raised and set himself back a bit, but he felt like it was it was a worthwhile sacrifice to save all of the rest of the crew, which he definitely was able to do. 
the question for the fifth. What story does your group tell about your character? Um, the one I hope still lives on from my days playing Living Force, the uh, D20 Star Wars uh, campaign that ran for a while. Um, my, I had a uh, character who was a, a Trandoshan martial artist named Stark Dalek. Um, and I remember we were... Um, Attempting to get to the um, controls, the uh, bridge of a uh, Starliner that had been sabotaged by bad guys and was uh, actually flying towards the uh, uh, system's sun. And so in order to uh, save the rest of the passengers who were trying to evacuate, but things were chaotic and there was monsters all over the place and it was just a bad scene. But we knew that we had to stop this thing from flying into the sun or we were probably all just going to die anyway. So we were running for the uh, bridge and of course we get up to the bridge and the blast doors are sealed. Now, mind you, you know, we've got a scoundrel with us who I'm guessing maybe had the skills to perhaps uh, jimmy the door open. But instead, the Jedi uh, decided to take it upon themselves to uh, use their telekinesis uh, to open open the blast doors by sheer force of mind. Now, mind you, Stark Dalek uh, was well known in the party for his dislike of the Jedi. He felt that most of them, uh, you know, were uh, kind of haughty and superior. They, they thought they were, you know, they thought they were the cat's meow, and and he he took uh, no no pleasure in uh, uh, hearing that constantly, and so took every opportunity he could uh, to knock them down a peg. And so, of course, uh, this Jedi, uh, uh, owing you know to their true to their form, jumped right in when uh, you know some. Somebody else might have been able to uh, solve this problem a little better than they. Uh, and the way the uh, Living Force, uh, the D20 uh, system worked, you uh, uh, spent your vitality, which was essentially uh, your hip, a uh, good chunk of your hit points, um, or at least uh, most of your hit points, except for the ones that were just associated with your constitution, which were your wounds. So that was when you, uh, when you finally started taking into your wounds, was when you were really getting hurt. But you know those are few and far between. So your vitality was really your uh, your main hit point store, but uh, force characters had to use those uh, in order to uh, activate their force powers, uh, burning through their vitality a little faster to do all those cool Jedi tricks. And so, of course, given the amount of force that he had to exert to open up the blast doors, he managed to basically take himself out of the fight and knock himself unconscious uh, by doing so. So, uh, you know, as the Jedi gets a, a bloody nose from the incredible force of will required to uh, force the doors open, he collapses, and what should happen to be on the other side of those doors, of course, uh, but a Sith with a red lightsaber ignited, uh, leaving, of course, me and the scoundrel to uh, stare dumbfounded, wondering, well, what are we supposed to do about this? <laughs> the Jedi just dropped over, and unfortunately, the uh, scoundrel then quickly noticed the pilot sitting in the driver's seat with a thermal detonator, like, taped to his hand, and his hand uh, sort of elevated above the console, but uh, sort of partially t uh, tied down with ropes, so that he had to keep holding his arm up to keep the trigger of the thermal detonator from touching the chair. Uh, and so you could tell that his arm was starting to get weak, he was starting to shake, uh, so he wasn't going to be able to hold that position for very long. Uh, so of course the uh, uh, scoundrel uh, quickly uh, skulked off into the corner and said, I'm going to go take care of uh, that, why don't you take care of the uh, Dark Jedi? And so leaving my uh, you know, barehanded martial artist to deal with the uh, Sith with a lightsaber. And so luckily I did the only thing that uh, made any sense. Uh, I ran straight at him, took the uh, attack of opportunity required because I didn't have the feats necessary to do this, but I sundered his lightsaber. Um, 
uh, just hoping that um, you know most of their uh, combat powers uh, for the Jedi anyway, and hope the, hopefully the Sith were, Sith were the same. All of their combat powers were based on them having uh, their lightsaber ignited uh, to use them. And so once I uh, you know I took a pretty decent hit, as I recall, uh, running up to do that. But once I sundered his lightsaber, uh, it turned out the Sith uh, had very few tricks that did not require the use of said lightsaber to make our lives miserable. So once I was able to do that between me and the smuggler, we were able to get rid of the Sith. So that was uh, hopefully the, the one story that lives on down there amongst that crew. For August 6th, the most amazing thing a game group did for their community. Um, I think the thing recently that has been a real inspiration is the Shadowrun Missions guys uh, at conventions uh, keeping the uh, Stephen A. Tinner promise of uh, never turning a gamer away uh, from one of those games. I know they have worked their butts off uh, for the last year at conventions and things trying to uh, uh, keep that promise alive that they made uh, in in, uh, Stephen Tinner's memory when he died uh, to, uh, to never turn a gamer away from those games at conventions uh, and they have run a ton of Shadowrun in the meantime uh, because of it and I think they've gotten a lot of new gamers into the into that game so I've been uh, uh, love love to hear those stories the question for the seventh is what aspect of RPGs has had the biggest effect on you and the thing that I think I most love about RPGs is the ability to make new friends. It has been my tool in a lot of points in my life. In high school, I gamed with my friends. Uh, when I went to college, uh, some of my best friends from college I discovered because I heard the word Thaco <laughs> echo down the hallways, and I said, wait, what? Those are my people. Um, and uh, the same thing uh, held true when I moved uh, uh, down to Kansas City for a while. I you know, did not know anybody in town, moved, moved to town because of a job, uh, and I just went to the local comic and game store and found some guys playing and said, hey, can I join up with you? And, you know, uh, a year later, we're, you know, road tripping to Origins together, and some of those guys showed up at my wedding. You know, they, they are, are still friends to this day, and so that is uh, uh, one of the best things. And now, uh, in my uh, town that I live now, uh, there were no gamers, and so I had to set out to uh, grow a group of them myself, and uh, the result is this podcast that you guys have been listening to. Um, I have managed to uh, make a lot of new friends, and uh, strengthen my ties with uh, uh, others uh, in this area that I, I certainly was friends with, but I, uh, it gives me a, g- a good reason to uh, spend more time with them. So I greatly appreciate RPG's ability to do that. And finally for this episode, uh, the question for the eighth, hardcover, softcover, digital, what's your preference? Uh, for me, I am definitely a uh, PDF junkie uh, to start with. I will pick up just about any game that looks even mildly interesting uh, in PDF format, and my, you know, hard drive definitely shows it. I have a giant folder full of games, many of which I have not even read yet, some of which I, you know, have purchased, looked at, and thought, eh, never mind, I don't think I'm going to be too interested in that as a game. So I definitely love uh, using the uh, digital as my sort of first taste of a game. However, once I discover that I love a game, I uh, immediately attempt to buy it uh, in a dead tree format. Um, for me, that's usually preferably soft cover, just because I tend to uh, not 
not beat up my books quite so much. I tend to take a little uh, a little TLC with them, and they're a lot lighter when I'm uh, carrying them. Uh, so when I'm uh, going from uh, place to place, game to game, going to conventions, things like that, I much prefer the uh, smaller, lighter books uh, rather than the hard covers. Uh, these these are not uh, trophies or display pieces. These are uh, are to be used, uh, and so their portability makes them uh, slightly more. But uh, definitely for me, it's uh, I'll I'll go for the uh, Dead Tree version once I. Once I know it's a it's a game I'm really interested in, so well, hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, little musing down uh, RPG a day lane. If you're interested, and there's still time uh, here in the month, we're just in the first week, uh, so there's plenty of time to catch up or just jump right in on whatever day we're on. Uh, go ahead and go to go uh, to any of your social media and just use hashtag RPG a day. No spaces or anything, just RPG a day. Uh, and you can go ahead, uh, just Google that, and you should be able to find the uh, the uh, poster for uh, 2016 that lists all of the uh, questions. Uh, it looks like uh, at the top of the top here, it is brought to you by the RPG Brigade. Uh, so go ahead and join in the conversation. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, extra episode. Uh, unscheduled deviation from the schedule, but uh, I promise by next week I should be uh, uh, back to normal, and we will uh, continue our uh, previously scheduled game of Uncharted Worlds, because, you know, we got to finish that up, right? Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the show. Interested in joining us? Google M-I-N-N-L-O-C-O to find information on Minloco 2016. The musical bed for this episode was Revival by Kevin McLeod. You can find it and other royalty-free music at Incomptech.com. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, 4.0 international license. All works discussed are the property of their respective owners. Our intro and outro music is by Idol Exhibit. Have a suggestion or just want to get in touch with us? Email us at mentallyuntable at gmail.com. That's mentallyuntable, no spaces or punctuation. You can like us on Facebook as Mentally UTA. That's one word, Mentally UTA. We're also on Stitcher and on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter at Mentally Untable. M-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y-U-N-T-A-B-L-E. Thanks for listening.